Yeah, we turn now to the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through it, Matthew chapter 5, and we uh, hit today some familiar passages to most of us. But I'll tell you, I've told this before, but it makes me uncomfortable, so I'll share it again. I was in Africa, and I was preaching the Word of God. A bunch of pastors gathered, and they're there watching me, and about an hour in, they take a break because the white guy's sweating so much. They want to give him a warm Coke in a bottle. So I'm sitting there drinking my warm Coke, and the nice, amazing young pastor comes up to me and says, you know, Dax, you're a, your pants are broken. <laughs> yeah, it was my zipper. And I'd been preaching for an hour with my zipper down. <laughs> oh, no! It's like, it's like, I just, and, and uh, you know... Of course I fixed it, of course I did, but it was too late, right? I just had in my head an hour of these guys watching the guy up there walk around with the zipper down. Your whole thing, did they hear a word I said? Did they even get there? They couldn't, right? And and I I realized that the weight of what I was supposed to be doing versus what I actually accomplished maybe wasn't quite there. It was uncomfortable for me. I hate it, you know, I hate that. But here's the thing, God doesn't hate that. God could have had somebody come up and tell me ahead of time. God could have had me remember exactly, he knew exactly what he was doing to humble me in that way, right? I don't like it, but God, my sovereign God, who's alive, isn't far off. So somehow God knows what's going on, but I want to do better. We're addicted to this, our own standing. We are. Like a a writer I really like has a quote. He says, Lord, he prays, Lord, please restore to us the comforts of merits and demerits. Show us there's at least something we can do. Lord, if it isn't too much to ask, please send us to bed with at least a few shreds of self-respect upon which we can congratulate ourselves. But above all else, don't preach grace. Give us something to do, anything, but spare us the indignity of this indiscriminate acceptance. I'm uncomfortable. The whole system in Christianity for many of us is sort of to affirm our own goodness or the growth in it, right? To see how much we're we're doing, to change sort of the, the purpose and the hearing of the law. The fabulous law of God. What we read in Psalm 119 this morning. Oh, God, please help me to do your commandments, your statutes, your rules. Oh, may I have them in my heart. Oh, may I do them. Fabulous prayer. Fabulous request. That's why these words that we're going through today are life-changing words. They're very important to how you're going to live your life. Critical. Because because you remember where we are, right? We're, We're in this parallel piece that Matthew has brought out from the scriptures, God's word to us, how how Moses had gone up on the mountain and heard from God about all he had already done for them and how they were making a covenant of relationship with him. 
They were going to keep these Ten Commandments. They're not just ten. There's 613 of things to do. They were going to respond with grateful obedience to God because of all God had done for them, delivering them out of Egypt, going before them. He's going to give them the promise and everything. It was response. What was it to get to God? And they're down on the mountain because they're like, oh man, this is scary. There's big scary God up there, lightning and thunder and all that. And, and this parallel thing that we're in right now where God, because Jesus is God, and he's standing among everybody, gathering them together. Here, hear from me. And he speaks from the place of Moses, the new Moses. And what he says is God speaking. And what he's doing is interpreting the law, the rules, the things we're to do. Right? The crazy statement that he made right at the beginning, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. It's like... Whoa, that's so strange. How incredibly blessed are those who have nothing because I, God, am going to give them heaven. First beatitude, Father's good pleasure to give them heaven. This relationship to those wandering on the highway, to the unworthy, to the least, to the little. I start to caveat that right away. I mean, don't you? On the one hand, Jesus dies for us, but what about maintaining relationship with God? I mean, that's Christian living. I'm supposed to be salt and light, and we looked last week, Jesus, very high, right? He said, you, you're the salt of the earth. If you're not salty, toss out and trample you, you're dirt. And he said, you're the light of the world. You are this. You're supposed to be shining the incredible relationship that God has with Israel to the nations, everyone around you. And I think if that's Israel, how much more me? Christian. How much more you? Christian. How are you salt? How are you light? Where Jesus went, he says, hey, it's about the law. Because I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to make it full, to complete it, to fulfill it. That's where he's been. We're hearing from the authority what's required. We should be taking notes. Uh, it, it's comfortable. I get comfortable thinking I'm, I'm actually doing okay. I, I, maybe I'm not getting an A, but at least a B plus or maybe a C minus. I'm not getting an F. I mean, look at some of you guys. I must be doing better. I go there in my heart. So this, when Jesus actually speaks, it starts to become uncomfortable. Why? Because the covenant relationship I have with God is based on me making some judgments about how I'm doing. And then, this morning, God speaks. Jesus Christ is God, and he speaks. God's standard, the law. I've gone through and identified a code of conduct by which God wants me to act. It is his rules. It is not my rules. They are beautiful. They are amazing. They are what God requires, and I'm judging how I'm doing, basing that, and I'm the one taking a look in the mirror and deciding, and my judgment is I'm doing not terrible, and that gives me comfort. So this morning... God wants you uncomfortable. Sorry. But it's the truth. Me too. So that's what I want to show you. We're uncomfortable. And, and this piece that because your zipper's down, 
and it's too late. It's already been down. That's the idea. Okay, let, let, let's go. First, we're uncomfortable about anger. Murder. So here it is, verse 21 in chapter 5. The word of God, Jesus is speaking. in the middle of his preach on the Sermon on the Mount. He just walks right through it. He says, you have heard it said that it was said to those of old. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Oh my. I I just want to first say how incredible this is. You do see how incredible this is, right? You've heard it said. Means what? God gave to Moses on the mountain the incredible sixth commandment that says you shall not murder. But I say, what is he doing? I'm God speaking to you. Incredible. He's not saying, you know, some rabbi said, and so I'm kind of going to interpret what the rabbis say. No, this is, I'm saying God said this, and I, God, am telling you, this is the heart. This is the interpretation that you should be taking out of this. Whoa. Pretty cool. Now, you've heard it said, don't murder. God will judge you if you do. I got it. You know, that's the sixth commandment. It's clear. It, it's, it's pretty easy, honestly, in my head. I've never murdered anyone. See, that's, that's good. Because murderers, God's going to judge you. That, that's what it says, right? Liable, it means accountable. Like, uh, and the reality is, think through this with me. He doesn't say, murderers, you're going to die. He says, you're liable to judgment. Which means what? We'll take out the fact that you murdered someone. We'll think through all the ways in which you justify yourself for having murdered them. And we'll decide if it was righteous. Guess what? Murder's not righteous. That's why we kind of say, oh, God's judging, right? The liability is, I mean, we take right away. Man, if I do something, and he does, well, I had these reasons. You know, you don't understand about all the things that person was doing. They were doing X, Y, and Z, and that made me do it. Jesus, the woman made me do it. That's Genesis 3, right? We, 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 we always have an excuse. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. God says, I'll open that up. That's fine, and we'll look at you. And you heard that about murder. But then he broadens it incredibly, right? Oh, no. Jesus goes so much further. If I say you're even angry inside with your brother, you're open to judgment. If you insult your brother, you idiot, stupid person, you're in danger of judgment by God. And if you say you jerk, you morally deficient fool, you're in danger of Gehenna. Like, like this is... A big deal. Watch out. Okay. Now, we try and soften this. How do you try and soften this? Well, you know Jesus isn't talking about just frustration. He means a burning internal anger, a deep bitterness that you're trying to get. That's what he means. What's the problem with that? That's actually not what it says. That's us trying to wrap our minds about how could this possibly be? Have you never said a word in anger? Of course I have. Wait, wait, wait. You don't even have to have said it. Have you thought it in your heart? Have you ever gotten frustrated? I like the word frustration because it sounds so much nicer than anger. 
I feel much better if I just say, yeah, I'm a little frustrated. Why? Because I'm angry. Why? At you, fool. You're doing something dumb. We use the person cutting yourself off on the freeway all the time because it's such a benign thing. But in our homes, with our kids, with our parents, with our spouses, with our friends, with the people around us, we think things all the time. And Jesus brought, so murder all of a sudden is anger, and anger is at the level of your heart. Two separate ways he's intensifying and broadening how how the the command of God, if you want to be a representative of God to the nations, if you want to be salt to the earth, if you want to be light that shines, this is how the kingdom resident is. You have a relationship with God? Isn't this you? That's what Jesus says, right? The idea is that any anger opens you up to judgment where someone will have to judge whether or not your anger was justified. So it's not even a question of did I have, like in my own heart, well, righteous anger is okay. Of course righteous anger is okay. Is yours righteous? Well, that person did this to me, so yeah, it's righteous. Is it? Is that how Jesus would have responded? When Jesus was up on the cross and they're stabbing him in the side? Is he angry? Well, Dax, that's an impossible standard. Well, are you in a relationship with God or not? Are you his kid or not? Are you representing him to the world or not? That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is right. It's true. I mean, if there is a God, and there is, and if he clearly said don't murder, and he did, and if in your heart you're angry at someone, isn't that clearly related? Doesn't it mean you don't want a peaceful relationship with them right now? You want to exert power over them? You want to complain about them? That's what you're doing in your heart, in your thoughts. You're pushing that person aside. Doesn't it mean that you, you don't at that moment want their very best? You want to be understood. You want to be caught well of. You want compassion towards you. You don't want to give compassion towards them. They don't deserve it. You realize the guy that cut me off was that was a dangerous move. The fact that I tailgated him for the next mile, that that was simply a consequence of his poor decision making. Because I'm mad at him. That's not dangerous. It's all over, right? It's just another word for self-justification. We, we go this. All of a sudden, the intentions of my heart, moment by moment, are being evaluated. Are being evaluated. Not by me. By God. By God. Jesus is speaking. I mean, I want to evaluate. I can do this. We frame everything. If I'm angry, I've got a reason. If that, that's how I go. But it's not me. It's God looking at the moment by moment attitudes of my heart. And, and, and he's looking at you. We are so good at putting up a false front. I can seethe inside and smile at you. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think that. Next time you come to me and I smile at you, you're like, uh-oh, he's really inside mad at me. No. But we don't show what we're thinking is the point, right? And who sees the heart? Jeremiah 17. God sees the heart. 
out of the heart eventually comes stuff. We can eventually see fruit from how your heart is. But the actual looking at your heart moment by moment, who sees that? God does. And so here's God, and he's saying, you know what? We're talking about you being a kingdom resident, and you're being salt and light. And Christian, it certainly does apply to you. You want to be God's person. This is what it would look like for you to do it based on the law. Because this is what the law means. That's what he's saying. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm kind of perseverating on this, but, but I think it's, it's really important here to understand that all of our frustration, it's not that God says it's all evil. It's like it's all liable to be judged. And the discouraging thing is when he does judge it, he's looking at your actual intention of your heart every moment. And I'm telling you for me, and maybe you're different, and you're willing to stand before God in this way and say all of my frustration is absolutely a thousand percent justified. And I am a representative of Jesus as I'm angry at my spouse. I think you're a liar if you say that. Your mileage may vary. Is that like an internet thing? Y-M-M-V. <clears throat> okay. But, but he's not done. He keeps going. So if you are offering your gift at the altar there, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So if you, God-fearer, are at worship, this is not about communion. This is where we receive forgiveness. That's a whole other issue. This says, if you remember your brother has something against you, the priority isn't your God worship. If you want to be salt and light, the priority is appeasing your brother. This is so radical. You have a relationship with God. You realize your brother might have cause to be angry with you. Where do we want to go right away? Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm def- I'm, I'll give you my four-point defense about why they shouldn't be angry with me, and I'm righteous. What is Jesus saying? You don't decide that. God does. How is he going to judge? You're not treating your brother. For, they've got something against you. What if there's even the tiniest bit of, yeah, boy, I didn't do that quite right. You're going to get judged. So you leave your gift there and you go to your brother and you make it right because honestly you don't want any peace at all of, of, of not understanding your spiritual bankruptcy. That's what Jesus is saying. You want God to judge? You're opening yourself up and you really shouldn't because you want that clean because when it comes to see how your heart is, it's not going to be as pretty clear as you want to say it is. I say I'm clean. The whole issue is, does God, about your actions, about your heart, in yourself, I'm not talking Jesus and the cross and forgiveness, I'm talking the law of God and what God requires of you. This is Jesus laying it out. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the court judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is saying, yeah, you know what? He said, but, but I, this is not an exhortation to not go to court. This goes with what we're talking about to say, you don't understand that you're not as good as you think you are. 
Well, I already think I'm pretty bad. Yeah, but if someone accuses you and you're like, I'm fighting this, this is unjust, they're wrong. But if, what if God comes and looks and he says, they're right? Settle it now. So God doesn't even have to look. Because when God examines your heart, what's he going to see? That's what Jesus is saying. He's not referring to the idea you might lose in a crooked court. He's talking about judgment by God of you. And if you've hurt someone, if you've done anything wrong, if there's a wrong intent, if there's a wrong iota, a jot or a tittle of anything, you're judged. I, a tiny example. I had given this before. I come home. I'm tired. I'm, I pop open my phone now. It's my book, you know, because Libby. Libby's cool. You can check out books from the library. So I'm sitting there reading my library book and sitting on my high knee. And my wife's doing the dishes. Good Christian man. She's had a long day too. I should hop up and do what? That's right. Help her with the dishes. I'm tired. I don't. She's amazing. She doesn't say a word. She just does the dishes and does her thing. Come on. But, 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 but I, if I know what the right thing to do is and I don't do it, what is that called? Yeah, I should be crying over it. It's sin. There I am, not doing what's right. And there I am, liable to be judged. If my wife does have bitterness, I don't know, I don't know her heart. I don't know if she's like, man, there he goes again. I wish you would help me. Say, well, that's such an easy solution. You go ask her. Yeah, I know. But we do this a thousand times a day with all of our interactions, with everything that we do. It's not just this one tiny thing. It's everything, layer upon layer upon layer. It's like all the ways in which we're trying to get through life and we think we're doing okay, but we take a moment. I think of the law of God this way. I will do what God requires so that I get a little time for myself. I will do all the things required so that I get a little peace where I just have some quiet and go sit in the trees. I don't know. No, I'm not all the way through every moment longing to be doing the law of God. Like Psalm 119 says, oh, that your statutes would be on my lips and my heart, my treasure forever. It's just not so. Not so for you either. I'm saying that because I think God does, not because I know. I don't know your heart. Murder, for this case, starts way over here with the heart. And when you tear somebody down, when you damage them, when you cause them to stumble, when you're the source of anger, when you get angry wrongly at them, you are not displaying the heart of God, and God judges that. That's this first piece, and it makes me uncomfortable because I'm liable to judgment. Okay, and, and, and then I get even more uncomfortable because now he's going after lust. And I'm scarred, and you are too. Jesus says this. You've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is the seventh commandment from Exodus 20. Don't commit adultery. That's sexual relations with someone who's married. Boy, it's good that there's a prohibition on that. I get it. Marriage vows and all of that. I haven't done that. Not me. I am tempted to pat my back. And then Jesus, what is he doing? He ups the bar, right? That, that's what he does. Every single person who looks with lust, I, I, I like how this verse, the ESV, the trend, 
pull you a certain way by translating with lustful intent. Boy, that sounds legal. Have you looked with lustful intent? It doesn't mean stare. It just, the word just means desire. I want something I don't have. Period. It's not always even used for, for sexuality. It's used for money or stuff. I just want something I don't have. I desire something I don't have. You ever desire something you don't have? You ever long for what you don't have? Adultery. You're not a faithful person. That's not me talking. I, I, I don't. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm sorry, Jesus. This is God talking. He's not crazy. He's true. That's, that's what he's doing, right? You sin like that. It starts in your heart. It's this thing that you do already and you, you can't soften it. It takes a thought. This isn't don't pick up somebody on the curb. That's not this at all. This is way past this. Jesus says this personal, internal, not seen by anyone else. You just have a desire. And that's adultery. Who judges that? God does. Who says you can't have a relationship with him? You are not salt and light. God says that. This is crazy talk to me because it's all, all every person in here. We desire things we don't have. What's required is someone who's true all the way through. Like, like if I'm made of a certain substance and you, you, you cut into it, it, it's the same substance all the way through. That's the Pharisees, Jesus is after them. So you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look like something on the outside, but in the inside, you're not that. And in fact, the very lead in to what he's talking about today is your righteousness has to be better than the Pharisees, has to be better than the people who are working hard to keep the law. Why is it better? Your thoughts and intentions have to be correct and right because God sees the heart. Get convicted, would you? You guys. You. I'll tell you what, there are people in this room who have committed adultery. By the Old Testament division <laughs> definition. And then, and then. And then there's Jesus' definition. And I don't know anybody who hasn't. It is serious and how seriously committed you need to be. This kind of committed. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better you lose one of your members and your whole body go to hell. Oh, look, Jesus uses a nice metaphor. No. If your right eye is the cause, you rip it out because adultery sends you to hell. Sin sends you to hell, and you sin. Jesus repeats himself because it's so serious. If your right hand's the problem, cut it off. Throw it away. The law reveals sin, and sin is bad. It's very, very bad. There's a reason, though, that I still have two hands and two eyes. Well, besides that I'm a disobedient critter, it's that the problems aren't my eyes and my hands. The problem's me. 
The problem's you. Your heart. It's not your eye and your hand. If there's a way, you could say, man, I'll be pure and I'll just lose my hand. Jesus would say, do it in his heartbeat. That's what you're supposed to do. If you could rip out your eye and therefore be so pure that you would be keeping the law, you would do it in a heart because that's what relationship with the perfect God of heaven is. And it's worth it, you guys. It's so worth it to follow the law of God with your heart all the way through. That moment by moment, your passion is just to be in the presence of the Lord. No self-thought at all. Just be God's light and God's salt. So worth it. Rip your eye out. What's the problem? It didn't change a thing. I'm still not pure all the way through. That's, that's the problem. The standard is not low. The standard is high. Jesus has no trouble calling sin, sin. He's explaining how to interpret the law for the person in God's kingdom and is at the level of your every single desire. It is terrifying. It is uncomfortable because I'm constantly not perfect. One more. I'm still uncomfortable about divorce. Because Jesus says this, this is what he says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus leaves the Ten Commandments, but he's still in the Torah. He's Deuteronomy 24. This was the law of God. And they said, this is what you do. There's lots of argument about the rabbis, even right in Jesus' day, about what it meant. Because it talks about the husband finding some indecency in his wife. And so you give a certificate of divorce. No fault. There, trying to do what's right. Marriage isn't working, sin had happened, you want to handle it, so we'll follow Deuteronomy, we'll give her a certificate, and these people are arguing whether the indecency had to be something big or little. I mean, there's a group that thought it was that he burned their, his food. But I say to you, Jesus says, everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Oh my goodness. My standard, Dax's standard, under the law is try to minimize hurt. And Jesus says, any divorce causes adultery. Say, well, there's an exception, Dax. There's sexual morality. No, no, this is only in Matthew that he says this. And he's saying it as part of his argument. Understand what the argument is. His argument is, if you divorce your spouse, you're causing them to commit adultery, except if they already are committing adultery, you're obviously not causing it. That's the exception, right? They're already doing it. Then you're not causing it. It's still adultery. I don't like this. Did Jesus not understand the abuses that happen in marriage? Does he not understand how two parties can, can, can have, be at each other? Is there not a way for? Yeah, no, that's, that's called our society. Our society wants to work. So we have societal reasons. It's totally fine. This is how we do it. This is the way that society handles relationships that need to break up. I'm talking salt and light before God. Are you righteous? There's no rightness in this. Jesus knows the problems. He knows the abuses. He, patriarchy and sin and poor treatment and sad homes and distances and fathers and, 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 and nagging wives. He knows all of it. None of it goes without judgment, but there's no rightness in divorce. Nobody's justified before God. Like I'm clean and righteous in my actions and they're evil and wrong over there. You 
condemn somebody to sin. Because God did something and you're breaking it. You're presuming upon God. You think that you do these things to be clean, to be right, to be noble, to be pure, and instead it causes more woundedness. And so see really important things. He's not talking about the functioning of society. He, 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 our society allows all sorts of divorce. So there's no penalty. You try and break things up rightly, share custody. Heck, our society allows all sorts of unions that I personally think are not in the Bible. Jesus is talking about righteousness before God. He's talking about representing God's heart to people, to the nations, to the people around you. And he says, divorce doesn't do that. That's not God's heart. Have you read Hosea? Go marry a prostitute, God tells Hosea, because I'm you, Hosea, and the people are the problem. Over and over, I take her back and take her back. This is the heart of God. You want the heart of God? Here it is. Well, that's God's heart, and I just can't. That's the point. You're not representative of the relational aspect of the kingdom because divorce has no righteousness in it. This is super huge. I want to make sure you see it. I I want you to judge the context. I want you to come hear the different sides and see who's really been harmed and, and who's determined who's more wronged when divorce happens. I want to put the blame on the person who's causing the problem. I want to judge, like I do with my anger. I want to explain. I, I, I want... There are reasons why my eye wandered. It's not entirely my fault. Don't get me started on... Right? Do, you, do you realize what they've done? This is what we do. As people, I'm not talking about you if you've never been divorced, but I am talking about you because you're doing it with your anger. Because you're doing it with your desires. What are you doing? Justifying them. You are saying other people have imposed on me and therefore I have become this. It is not my fault. Not entirely. You know what God says? Judgment. If you think that's how you keep relationship with me. It cannot hold. That's Jesus talking. God is looking at your heart and this is the righteousness required for you to be rightly responding in yourself to the incredible blessing of God for you. He's not talking to random people who've never heard of God. He's talking to people who have received the benefits of deliverance, who actually are Christ's. At least they think they are, but they think they are because they're doing okay. And their idea of doing okay is self-justifying their own law-keeping. And Jesus says, you don't even see the half of it, the tenth of it, the 1% of it. The bar is so incredibly high, you are not going over it. I mean, we can't keep going this morning. We got to finish. We'll finish this section next week. There's six of these. We've been through three of them. Uh, On the one hand, right, there's this heightening of the law that Jesus does. No question. He he both broadens and intensifies. He goes into the heart to show that we, we cannot do it. It is God in the midst of them, Jesus. He's destroying every other hope. This high jump, up, 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 to where we should actually be, but we aren't. So, 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 so here's the thing. You cannot start with baby steps. 
There's no such thing as saying, oh, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll get there. I'll start by doing this little piece, and, and then I'll add to this little piece, and then pretty soon I'll actually be where I'm supposed to be, up here at the top where the law says I'm supposed to be. What about all the harm that you've done by not doing what you're supposed to do? You can't go back. Your zipper's been down for two hours. They didn't hear anything you said. It's over. You're scarred. And scarred people don't get to be in the presence of the perfect God, do they? That's the issue. The issue really is you're not true all the way through. You do not desire totally and completely God and his ways. The standard is that. It's so high. You might say, well, okay, let me add it. This interpretation of strength, kingdom ethic, here we go. I won't get angry. I won't look. I won't get divorced. I won't be around anyone who has. I won't. But, but you already have. Take a look in the mirror. That's what Jesus is saying. If you run over a baby and you promise never to do it again, does that make you righteous? Does that help their family? Does that take away the harm? It's over. Jesus ends this whole section. We'll jump ahead. If you go down to verse 48, he's he's crescendoing. We'll crescendo it next week as well. But you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You must be perfect. That doesn't mean you must be mature. It's perfect. This is what's required. You, you want to be salt? You are light? Then you're perfect. Not, not to train yourself to approach perfection. Not to start with these baby steps. This is the requirement. The level of your thoughts and desires all the way through who you are to be. Not who you're to act like, but you're actually to be. In all of them, not like, you know, you're a glutton, but you're a kind person. Or, or, or you know, you're faithful, but you're angry a lot. Or, or you're, you know, you covet, but you're basically good. No, no, you, you've got to be perfect in all of them. And so, you, according to the definition of salt, are worthless. In this manner, if that's where you're going, in the arena of personal goodness, in righteousness, in representation under the law, you are spiritually bankrupt. And the sooner you accept it and embrace it, the sooner you actually see where God's going. And I hate to just land it here in so short a time, but that's Jesus. That's the sermon. The sermon is to try again to drive into your hearts that the law is about condemning you. And your hope is somewhere else. Why do I say that? Because God is speaking. He knows this. He is not unaware. (laughs) Once you see this, you are in the light because that is what Jesus sees. Jesus is speaking. The uncomfortableness all the way through, we have no standing. The harm is already done. We've already lost. We can't pledge to be better. We can't work harder. We simply aren't perfect. The jury is in. The standards are high, high, high. And it's uncomfortable because we are not in ourselves able. Not that we shouldn't, like we should give up. No, we should, but we don't. 
that's why this is the good news. Galatians 3.11. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. What does he mean? He means this. He's listening to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, Paul is. Jesus looks at every heart. Jesus judges. God judges the intentions of the heart. God sees the heart that's desperately wicked, and it's yours. But there is a road that you can take. It's not about self-justification by the law. It's about this. The righteous shall live by faith. Whole nother path. That's the trust of Jesus who is true all the way, who did see perfectly, who is standing in their midst saying the kingdom of God is among you. Why? Because he's standing there and he's going to the cross and he will die and shed his blood for you and me that by his stripes we're healed, that by his blood we're clean, that by his body we're brought into the kingdom of God because we're united to him forever and my relationship is based on him. Oh, I'm bankrupt, aren't you? My hope is in this God. That's Jesus. And that's what the message is. So today, don't leave discouraged. Leave knowing you're bankrupt. And knowing your hope is in Jesus Christ who did it all for you. It's the best news you can ever have. It's why we come and sing songs. It's why we stay together as fellowship with a bunch of people who really are, are not well put together and are sinners and, and, and get divorced and then commit adultery and then murder. And oh my goodness, why? Because I do too. I hate it. And there's no condemnation in Christ. In Christ, not in me. Oh, good news for you. Okay, I gotta stop. Well, we gotta pray. Would you bow with me? Let's do it. Lord, thank you so much that you have made a way for us who have nothing, who are little and lost and lowly and least. Lord, that there really is hope because you have done it. It is finished. I know you said it, Jesus, on the cross for us. So Lord, we worship you. We don't deserve you. We are so far from what we ought to be under the law. Oh, your law is beautiful, precious, like honey. And how it condemns me, Lord, us. So Lord, help us to trust you. Oh, may your Holy Spirit be here comforting and teaching and drawing us to place our hope fully in you and to live our lives through that lens, the lens you portray in your interpretation of the law, Lord. We do trust you. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In your precious name, amen.